In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will study together chapter 19 from the Gospel of St. Matthew. The main points in this chapter is the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ regarding marriage, divorce, and celibacy. And also another point in this chapter is about the money, our possessions, and the reward in reference to the kingdom of God. We can classify the chapter into five sections. The first section from verse 1 to 10 about marriage and divorce. Second section is verse 11 and 12 is the Lord's teaching regarding celibacy. Then from verse 13 to, 9 to 15, our Lord Jesus Christ blesses the little children. Then from verse 16 to 22, our Lord Jesus Christ counsels the rich young ruler. And the end of the chapter from verse 23 to 30, with God, all things are possible. With him, everything is possible. So let's start reading the chapter verse by verse. We'll start from verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them there so the beginning of this chapter describes to us the geographical location of our Lord Jesus Christ so after he finished his ministry in Galilee, he began his journey to Jerusalem. Galilee in the north, Jerusalem, and Judea in the south. So he traveled from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in order to complete all those things that must take place before the old law can be fulfilled. These things are referring to his crucifixion and his passion, which must be fulfilled in Jerusalem. And this was the final departure from Galilee before the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the beginning of his journey toward Jerusalem where he died, where he was crucified. From Galilee, he followed the route on the east of the Jordan to Jerusalem. In the east of the Jordan River to Jerusalem. Uh, so the region where the conversation about divorce occurred actually is called Perea. 
which means the land beyond, or this area is the east of the Jordan. Usually, the Lord Jesus Christ attracted great crowd around him. Multitudes followed him. But the people, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, they had different intentions. Some followed him to be instructed by his teachings. Some followed him to be healed. Some followed him out of curiosity. And some actually followed him to ensnare him, to test him, lying in wait to catch something he might say in order to arrest him. The Pharisees approached him to test him, to ensnare him. So verse 3, the Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? So, the purpose of this question is not to learn from him or to reveal his identity to the people. But actually, the, their intention was to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ in front of the people. But while they want to discredit the Lord Jesus Christ, actually they revealed their own identity as children of Satan who came to oppose the plan of God for the salvation of mankind. But let us understand what was behind this question, the question of divorce. In Judea, there was two schools regarding marriage and divorce. One school was very conservative. It is called the school of Shammai. And the other school is very liberal. The school of Chamai, who was one of the rabbis of uh, Judea, allowed divorce only in case of adultery. So this was the conservative school. The other school is called the school of Hillel and this school allowed divorce for any reason. For example, one of the reasons is burning the bread was a sufficient cause for a husband to divorce his wife. So they wanted to know which school the Lord Jesus Christ is supporting. Is he supporting the conservative school of Chamai or the liberal school of Hillel. Also, they wanted to test his consistency to see is he consistent 
with the teaching of the law of Moses or not. So let us see how the Lord Jesus Christ answered them. Verse 4, And he answered and said to them, Have you not read that he, God, who made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and said in Genesis, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Here the Lord Jesus Christ did not answer according to either schools. But actually, he answered according to the will of God, the word of God, which was recorded to us in the law. That's why he silenced them. By using the authority of the scripture, he silenced them. So, as if he is telling them, this is the teaching of God. Are you going to dispute what God made as a commandment or not? So in his answer, he explained the secret nature of the matrimony, of marriage, and the unbreakable of the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. And the Lord Jesus Christ also affirmed that God is both the creator of man and woman and also is the author of the institution of marriage. And he made marriage as a covenant because any covenant cannot be broken at all. You can actually break a contract, but you cannot break a covenant. That's why covenant is usually made with blood, the blood of the covenant. And because it is God who made this bond, we can say that the bond of marriage between husband and wife is stronger than the bond between children and parents. Because it was not said about children and parents, they are one. But it was said about a husband and wife, they shall become one. That's why polygamy, homosexual union, incest, free unions, cannot be defined as marriage. Cannot be defined as marriage. And these are offenses against the dignity of marriage. Even if the Supreme Court said it is a marriage, but no, it cannot be defined as a marriage. Because it is from the beginning God created them male and female. 
and joined them together. And if God has joined them and made from the two one, no human ordinance, no human being, no man has the right to separate them. So, as if God is saying, divorce is both against nature and against the law of God. Why against nature? Because if you have one flesh, one person, you cannot divide this person into two. If you divide one person into two, you are killing him. That's why in divorce, you are killing this family. It's against nature. One flesh cannot be divided into two. And against the law, because when God has joined and commanded the two to be one, then actually any separation is against the law of God. But the Pharisees wanted actually to test him, to discredit him. So they were not satisfied with this answer. In verse 7, So they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? I want you to notice they used the word command. Why then did Moses command? But let us see how the Lord answered this question. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted, not commanded, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So by their question, they implied that the Lord Jesus Christ contradicted Moses. But the Lord told them, no, I did not contradict Moses. Actually, from the beginning, it was not so. If you go to the ancient law, there was no divorce. Actually, in the book of Malachi, it says, I hate divorce, says the Lord God. Uh, then he explained why Moses permitted. They used the word command as if it is a commandment. But the Lord, when used the word permitted, as if he is saying it was just a permission. And he explained why. Usually, people try to justify their impure or unholy conduct from the scripture. 
they try to get support from the scripture for their unholy conduct. Like how the Pharisees tried to get from the scripture a proof that they can divorce their wives for just any reason. So the Lord told them, the reason is because of the hardness of their hearts. Meaning, to prevent a greater evil. For example, because of the hardness of your heart, maybe you will kill your wife. Or maybe you will cheat on her. So in order to prevent a greater evil, that's why he permitted divorce. But from the beginning, it was not so. Some people would argue and say, so why not in the New Testament, in our time, we permit divorce for the hardness of our hearts? If Moses was able to give permission in order to prevent a greater evil, the same can be applied in our time. Many people, their hearts are hardened. And actually, nowadays, you hear a lot of argument about new law for marriage and divorce. But let me explain the point about the hardness of the heart. What changed our hearts from hearts of stone into hearts of flesh? It is the grace of the Holy Spirit. And the grace of the Holy Spirit is given in the New Testament. So, the hardness of the heart in the Old Testament was not optional. Because of the absence of the grace of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, everybody, his heart was hardened. But in the New Testament, as the Lord promised us, I will take the hearts of stone and give you hearts of flesh. So, if your heart is hardened, it is because you choose this. Because you refuse to submit to the grace of the Holy Spirit. But if you submit yourself to the grace of the Holy Spirit, your heart will not be hardened. And then you don't need to divorce your wife. So the Lord actually lifted the people from one level in the Old Testament to a higher level in the New Testament. And how he lifted us from this level to that level by giving us the grace of the Holy Spirit. As we read in John chapter 1, the law was given by Moses, but the grace and truth by Jesus Christ. And the Lord made it clear that it is not a command, but a permission because of the hard hearts of the Israelites.
Uh, and I am sure the decision of our Lord Jesus Christ must be very unpleasant to these men. As nowadays, we hear many people are not happy with the teaching of the church, which actually is the teaching of the scripture, when the church teaches no divorce except for adultery. And the Lord, He explained to them why many of them, they wanted to divorce their wives. One of the main reasons behind divorce, in order to marry another woman whom they liked better than their wives. That's why the Lord told them, you cannot remarry while your divorced spouse is alive. Because if you divorce your spouse and marry another person, this divorce is not acknowledged by God. So in front of God, you're still married to this person. So if you marry another person, you committed adultery. Because in front of God, you're still married to this person. So if you divorce her, like in the court, and married another person, you committed adultery. And those who did marry during the life of the divorced are adulterous before God. That's why the Lord said, and whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So the same apply for the divorced. The divorced is still married to this person. So if she marries another man, she also commits adultery. So the man who divorces his wife, if he married another woman, he commits adultery. And the divorced wife, if she married another man, she also commits adultery. Thus, he was able to put the Pharisees to silence. And he explained to them, actually, the teaching uh, of God regarding marriage and divorce. Who was listening to this dialogue, the disciples? So as we read in verse 10, his disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it's better not to marry. As if they are saying, there are many challenges in marriage. So if a person will marry and he will never have a chance to divorce, maybe it's better not to marry. And the Lord answered, but he said to them, all cannot accept this saying, but only those to whom it has been given. And then he spoke about celibacy by saying, for there are eunuchs who were born thus from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who
who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. So, it seemed to the disciples as if it would be impossible to live up to live up to so high level. Uh, maybe the disciples or some of them were supporting more the permissive view of Hillel, who actually allowed the divorce for just any reason. That's why to see another standard, it was difficult for them. And the Lord actually took this question as an opportunity to speak about celibacy and to praise the uh, virtue of celibacy. But also he made it clear that celibacy and virginity is a great and a good, a good gift from heaven. Not everybody will accept this except those who received it from heaven. As he said in verse uh, 11, but only those to whom it has been given. Because this gift of celibacy is above nature. Not anybody can live this way except if he receives this gift from heaven. So, the Lord here, he gave a wise answer. He said, both ways are blessed. If you choose not to marry, that's a blessed way. But if you choose to marry, also this is a blessed sacrament. Uh, so, the Lord first, he discussed the sanctity of the marriage. Then he discussed the free will choice of celibacy for the kingdom of heaven. So as if the Lord is saying, both the sacrament of matrimony and a consecrated virginity for the sake of kingdom come from God and they are gift of the grace. I can say that all of us, all of the Christians, all the believers, are called to live a chaste life. Before their marriage and outside of the marriage, and after marriage, they must remain faithful to their one spouse within the covenant bond of marriage. But fornication and adultery is considered a mortal sin. Sin leads to death and can cost a person his eternal salvation. But thanks be to God, he opened the door of repentance to the adulterers. And 
the spiritual elder said, Blessed is the repentance who transforms the adulterers into celibates. So here the Lord spoke about three types of eunuchs. Eunuchs are those who are castrated. He said the first type of eunuchs, they are born like this from the wombs of their mothers. But the second type, they made themselves eunuchs for men. What does this mean? It was a common practice in ancient time for men who were assigned to serve the ruler or the king in order to protect uh, the wives of the kings that's why they were forced to be sterilized or some of them willingly submit to castration in order to serve as eunuchs in the palace of the king and we have the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 but the Lord spoke about a third group those who made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. So the first group, those who were born physically incompetent. Second group, made eunuchs by mutilation. Third groups, they don't actually uh, do physical uh, uh, castration. But by abstaining from marriage, in order to devote themselves to contemplative life or to life of service and to set themselves free from the curse of the world and to devote themselves to the work of Christ, they are considered spiritually eunuchs. They made themselves eunuch, not by castrating themselves because this is considered a sin, but by abstaining from marriage and living a chaste life because they mortified their lusts, they crucified the passions of the body. And by doing this, they now are less burdened by the cares of the world that's why they have more time to devote their life to the work of ministry or to the life of contemplation. Then after the Lord finished and made it clear that it is not given for everybody but those to whom it has been given for gift and he said, not everybody is called to this way, but he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. Then actually they brought little children to bless them. Verse 13, then little children were brought to him, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the, disciple, the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, let the children let the little children come to me and do not forbid them 
for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. The fact that they brought these little children to Christ means that the children were attracted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, they wanted actually to go to him. Uh, because I think the children felt the love of the Lord Jesus Christ actually toward them. The word, the parents brought their children, brought their children because the children actually showed interest to go to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the disciples did not consider the children important enough to take up the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why they rebuked them. Uh, actually, in the Gospel of St. Luke, we know they did not only bring little children, but they bring also infants to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ was not pleased by the attitude of his disciples. In the Gospel of St. Mark tells us that Jesus became angry that his disciples prevented the parents from bringing their little children to the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is apparent that giving of a blessing by laying of the hands was a custom. A custom actually as early as the origin of the tribe of Israel. Do you remember when Jacob, Israel, blessed the children of Joseph? Actually, he laid his hand on the heads of the children of Joseph. So laying the hand for a blessing, this was an old, very, very old tradition. And the Lord actually, in, in, in the previous chapter, chapter 18, he presented the little children as a model for the disciples. So how come the disciples now are preventing the children from coming to the Lord Jesus Christ? That's why he told them, let the children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven of the kingdom of heaven. So the Lord is saying the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. Not because of anything they have done, but because salvation is a gift that the humble and innocent would accept it without question. And this verse actually stands against the Protestant teaching when they teach that we cannot baptize little children. So the Lord tells them, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, let the little children means the earlier they come to Christ, the better. So, at what age do you teach your children about Christ? If you don't teach your children about Christ, 
انذر early childhood the Lord is telling you let the little children come to me and do not forbid them teach your children about Christ teach them how to make a personal relationship of Christ teach them how to be true disciples of Christ they should not be hindered from coming to Christ by misguided teaching they should not be hindered from coming to Christ by misguided teaching either like those who prevented the baptism of the little children or by teaching them uh, to put their priorities away from God many families put the priority of their children sports, music, swimming all these hobbies and if there is contradiction between, for example, the games or sports and Christ, no, they should go for the game. And Christ comes at the last. And Christ says to these parents, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. So, parents should bring their children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Then verse 16, now behold, one come, came and said to him, Good teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? So, what was the intention of this young man? Was he like the Pharisees? came to test him? No. I cannot say that he came to test him. Actually, he came with a sincere heart. Because when he did not uh, like the answer, we read in the Gospel of St. Mark that he went away sorrowful. Actually, he came to ask a question but unfortunately, the answer of the question did not please him. But because he was sincere, he did not come to test the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he went away sorrowful. What did we learn about this man? We learned that he was a young man, a youth. He was a ruler probably of the synagogue, as we read in Luke chapter 18, verse 18. He was rich, and maybe because he was rich, he was chosen as a ruler, as we read in Matthew 19:22. A ruler cannot be chosen from youth, this young age, but maybe because of his money, they put him or give him an office in the synagogue. Also, his sincerity appeared, as we read in Mark chapter 10, verse 17, he came running to Jesus and kneeled to him. So, we can conclude that he came to the Lord Jesus Christ with sincerity, but without resolution, strong enough to leave 
his worldly goods and possessions and to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. So may, many times we come to the church or we come to confession like this uh, young man with a sincere heart but not with a strong will to do what's right. And maybe he did not believe that Jesus Christ was God. That's why the Lord wanted to confront this disbelief in his heart. He asked him, as we read in verse 16, he told him, Good teacher, what, shall, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life. So the Lord Jesus Christ said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one that's God. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. So, is the Lord saying here that I am not God? Because he told him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God. No action. The Lord is telling him, you are coming to me as a mere man. As just a teacher, a Jewish teacher. So, if you believe that I am a mere man, why do you give me one of the titles of God, which is the good one? If you are coming to me as a man, I will answer you as a man. So our Lord, in order to correct his misconception, told him, God alone is good. So he is saying, if you are calling me good teacher, you need to believe that I am God. But if you don't believe that I am God, then don't call me teacher. You need to cease to address me by the title of good. Don't call me a good teacher. So, here the Lord is teaching him little by little. And also, he is teaching him not to be hypocrite. If you don't believe me that, if you don't believe me that I am God, then don't be hypocrite and give me one of the titles of God, which is the good one. So, by the Lord, when he said, no man is absolutely good, so, as if he is also saying, no man can keep the commandments perfectly. He told him, keep the commandments. But if no one is perfect, no one is good except God, so no one can keep the whole commandment. So as if he is telling him, if you are trying to keep the commandment by your own effort, you will fail. But if you are keeping the commandment by the grace of God, you will be able to keep the commandment of God. So eternal life cannot be one based on your effort, but it will be one based on the grace of God, which actually empower us to keep the commandment. And the Lord actually 
mentioned to him uh, some commandments. Verse 18, the young man said to the Lord, which ones, which commandments? Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So here, the youth, because there was many, many commandments, so the youth asked the Lord Jesus Christ, which commandments? Because there was many, many Jewish tradition and many Jewish ordinances. So what are you referring to? So the Lord here actually made it clear, I'm referring to the Ten Commandments. Uh, and the Ten Commandments were classified into four commandments regulating the relationship between me and God and six commandments regulating the relationship between the person and his brother. That's why they used to summarize the Ten Commandments into two commandments. The first four, they summarized them, love the Lord your God. And the second six commandments summarized all of them, love your neighbor as yourself. But the Lord here actually made emphasis on the second list. Uh, so, the Lord actually mentioned to him five commandments of the Ten Commandments uh, with emphasis on love your neighbor as yourself. The young man responded to this in verse 20, said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth. What do I still lack? So the response of this man made it clear that he has lived in accordance with those commandments. Now he is asking about what's lacking. What I cannot, what I can do more than this. Is there anything above and beyond obeying the Ten Commandments? And actually, by saying, I have kept, this means he was in denial. He didn't know what he was answering. Because nobody was able to keep the whole law. But also, by saying, I have kept all these commandments, what's lacking? This means that although he was keeping all these commandments, most probably outwardly, but he was not satisfied. He did not have peace in his heart. That's why he was asking, what I am lacking? I have a sense of incompleteness. I'm still hungry and thirsty for a different type of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ not my own righteousness. But because again of the sincerity of his heart, 
We read in the Gospel of St. Mark that Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he told him, you are lacking one thing. Now the Lord actually is searching his heart and telling him what, are you, what he is lacking. The Lord found in his heart there is a big idol. It's called the idol of the love of money. The idol of riches. That's why he told him, you need actually to destroy this idol inside you. The Lord told him in verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. That's what you are lacking. Uh, so the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in order to encourage this man to destroy the idol, he actually he motivated him by telling you will have treasure in heaven. So don't think that you will waste your money here. By giving your money to the poor, actually you are making a treasure in heaven where must does, uh, does not corrupt and thieves does not steal. But unfortunately this man went his way sorrowful as we read in verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Uh, so this man, he loved God, but not enough to be willing to give up all his material possessions. So, where your love for God stands, are you like this young man, you love God, but you are not willing to give up pleasure or money or your pride for Christ uh, can you afford to lose and to sacrifice some money or pleasure or your pride for the sake of Christ or not to be a disciple of Christ there is a cost Yes, there is a reward, but there is a cost. Are you willing to lose for Christ? As St. Paul said, and whatever considered gain for me, I consider it as a rubbish in order to win Christ and be found in him. So this young man, he wanted to be a disciple of Christ. He wanted to inherit the kingdom of God, but he was not ready to lose anything or to pay such a price. So the Lord here wanted to test his character, to show him that he did not keep the commandment as he pretended, but he said, I have kept all these things. To show him that he is still lacking to worship the true God, he is worshipping another idol in his heart, the idol of money. 
So this man was required to use his wealth for God and for man. For God by giving it to the poor and for man by helping the needy. And actually we are required to do the same. To be honest in our tithes and to help the poor and the needy. Uh, this man was commanded to sell what he has what he had and give it away but we are required to turn all over to Christ and to hold it as his stewards so we should know that whatever money in our hands whatever positions we have in our hands it's not ours. It belongs to God, but we just are stewards. And I want you to see how Christ here spoke about the three vows of monasticism. He spoke about celibacy when he spoke about eunuchs. Then he spoke about voluntary poverty when he said, go sell all what you have given to the poor. Then he spoke about obedience when he said, follow me. Follow me, just deny yourself, obey me, and follow me. And these are the three vows of monasticism. Verse 23, when the Lord saw this man went away sorrowful, he made a comment, and he said to the disciples, then Jesus said to his disciples, Assuredly I say to you, that it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, the word it's easier for a camel, maybe this is a common saying to signify anything impossible or very hard. Some scholars say the camel refers to the, the ship rope. It's like a cable. But actually, the verse here means a true camel. So as if the Lord saying, if you can let a camel goes through uh, eye of a needle, then a rich man can go into heaven. But the problem here is not the wealth or the riches itself. It is the dependency on money. It is the self-sufficiency that wealth gives a person. I don't need God. Usually the wealthy feel they do not, feel, they do not need God. They believe that their wealth affords everything to them, gives them the power to handle any crisis they may face. That's why the Lord said the first beatitude is the poverty of the spirit. Because poor in the spirit, they feel they need God. If you feel that you need God, you will come to the church. If you realize that you need God, you will pray. 
If you realize that you need God, you will read the Bible. But the problem, we don't realize that we need God. Acknowledging that we need God is the first step in our spiritual journey to salvation. So here the Lord is not saying that the rich man shall not enter. But he is saying the rich man who trusts in his money, it will be difficult for him to enter the kingdom of heaven. In the Gospel of St. Mark, made it clear how hard it is for them who trust in riches, those who trust in riches, to enter into the kingdom of God. A man may trust in riches, either he has just $100 or $100,000. Verse 25, of course, this answer surprised the disciples. When his disciples heard it, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Nobody can be saved, according to them. But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men, this is impossible. I agree. But with God, all things are possible. So the disciples here were surprised with this answer. They couldn't imagine the the great difficulty with which the rich men can enter the heaven. So they told him, it's very, very uh, hopeless. Who can be saved? And also... The kingdom of the Messiah for them was an earthly kingdom, not a heavenly kingdom. And the earthly kingdom, usually the the rich people have places and positions in earthly kingdom. But Christ said, no, the rich people will not have, those who trust money, will not have place or position in my kingdom. But the Lord confirmed they're surprised by saying, yes, this is impossible with men. Which means if you want to be saved by your own effort, it is impossible. But with God, if you rely on God and ask for the grace of God, then all things is possible. And you will be saved only through the grace of God. Human efforts alone cannot save a man. So this young man was zealous in keeping the commandment, but there was a great lack. He was lacking the grace of God to rely on God. He was relying on the money, not on God. So if he was able to break down the trust in wealth, and to take away the love of the wealth from his heart and fill his heart with the love of Christ, then it was possible for him to be saved. So it is the love of money, not the money, that is the root of all evil. Then Peter actually found that he sold everything and followed Christ. So then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all 
and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? So Jesus said to them, Assuredly I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of His glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. So the Lord actually promised them three rewards. To sit on thrones and to judge the children of Israel to be rewarded hundredfolds here on earth and eternal life. So, Peter observing that our Savior laid not the stress of man's salvation either upon riches or poverty, but upon the frames of men's spirit, their humility, their self-denial, their obedience, their readiness to follow Christ, so he said, we have left all, left all, not only our money, but everything. According to St. Jerome, one may wonder St. Peter had been but a fisherman. So what did he mean by left all? Always poor, living by his industry, gaining his bread by the sweat of his brow. Yet with great confidence he says, we have left all. So what this all means? We are not to consider what he left, but the will with which he left his all. He left the boat, he left the nets, he left his profession to be a fisherman, and accept to be a fisher of man. The apostles denied themselves even the desire and tendency of possessing anything for the name of Christ. The apostles understand that they have answered to the higher calling of God and wanted to know what their sacrifice will mean, what I will receive, because I sacrifice it all. Jesus assures them that they will share in a rich spiritual inheritance. Rich spiritual inheritance. So, what the word judge mean? We know that Christ is the judge of the world. So what the word judge mean? It could refer to the authority to be judges here on earth. The authority to forgive sins and to lose and to bind. But according to many of the church fathers like St. Jerome, St. Augustine, St. Gregory and others, that the apostles also, because they renounced the goods of their life, they followed Christ in mind and affection. So actually, they will be honored to sit in the judgment day with Christ as the general resurrection and to judge the tribes of Israel. 
And St. Paul confirmed that the righteous will judge the sinners as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, when we leave everything for Christ, this might, might happen without persecution, willingly, like the monks. They left everything and chose to follow Christ. By others, actually they were forced to leave everything because of persecution. As we hear right now how Christians in the Middle East are forced by the terrorists to leave everything. Uh, so leaving everything can be by force or willingly. Like in the days of the Lord Jesus Christ, there was persecution. So many people were uh, forced to forsake their houses, their homes. In our time, it's not often that we need to leave our positions because of persecution, but also, but it's always required that we love them, we love the positions less than we love God. And we be willing to give up everything that's inconsistent with our religion and with our faith and to be ready to give up all things if he asks us to do this. He rewarded them hundredfold. Hundredfold, we don't understand it literally, but we understand it as a blessing in the life. This interior consolation, the peace of a good conscience. In general also, we can, this can refer to the spiritual gifts and graces that the believers receive uh, from God. So to be judges hundredfold here on earth and then in addition to this they shall have everlasting glory in the eternal life. Then the Lord concluded his words and this actually the last verse in this chapter by saying that Many who are first will be last, and those who are last will be first. So, this may refer to the young ruler. He was a rich man. He was considered a superior, a, member, a ruler in the synagogue. So, first in this world, but considered the last in the kingdom of heaven. And the apostles who were just last in this world, poor, fishermen, humble, are considered first in the kingdom of God. The scribe and Pharisees were leaders in the church of the Old Testament, of high esteem in the Jewish church, but they are the last in the kingdom of heaven. On the other hand, the publicans, the tax collectors, the sinners, who were actually considered the last in the Jewish synagogue, but when they repented, they considered the first in the kingdom of God. Some of the church fathers, like St. Cyril, said the first 
that became last is the old covenant. And the last that became first is the new covenant church. Uh, Saint Cyril of Alexandria said, the Israelites were called first to salvation, but rejected the Messiah, whereas the Gentiles were called last, and because they embraced Jesus as Lord and Savior, they will come first in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This concludes chapter 19. As I said at the beginning, in just five minutes, I will give a quick summary in Arabic for this chapter. وربنا هيجيب الذكر والأنثى دولت في المارج وهيخليهم واحد من أجل هذا يترك الرجل أباه وأمه ويلتصق بامرأته ويكونان الجسد واحد لو في عندك جسد واحد لو أسمته الاثنين هيموت هكذا في الزواج لما بيبقوا واحد لما بنيجي يتطلقوا الأسرة دي بتموت عشان كده قال إذا ليس بعد اثنين بل جسد واحد ما تقدرش تفصل الجسد ده فالطلاق ضد قانون الطبيعة لأن فصل الجسد الواحد يسبب الموت وأيضا ضد قانون الله لأنه مين اللي خلاهم جسد واحد هو ربنا والذي جمعه الله لا يفرق إنسان لكن الفرسيين ما انبسطوش بالإجابة دي لأنهم نفسين يختبروا المسيح فقالوا الله ده موسى قال غير كده ده موسى إدى وصية أنه يعطى كتاب طلاق فتطلق فربنا ما استخدمش كلمة وصية قال موسى أذن لكم مجرد إدى إذن أن تطلقوا نساءكم من أجل قساوة قلوبكم قال موسى وافق على الموضوع ده لأن قلبكم كان قاسي ولكن من البدء لم يكن هكذا لما القلب تقسى موسى إدى الإذن ده لكن دي مش وصية فالطرق ليست وصية ولكن كان إذن في العهد القديم ده في سفر ملاخي يقول لي أني أكره الطلاق يقول الرب طب ليه ناس يجي يقولوا طب ما احنا في العهد الجديد في ناس قلبها قاسي طب ليه ما نطلقهمش في العهد القديم كانت قساوة القلب الناس ما عندهاش اختيار فيها لغياب النعمة كانش في نعمة في العهد القديم مش كده كل الناس قلبها قاسي نما ربنا وعدنا في العهد الجديد قال هاخد القلب الحجر وديكم قلب لحمي فلو انا قلبي قاسي في العهد الجديد ده لان انا اخترت ان انا ارفض نعمة ربنا لكن لو قبلت نعمة ربنا نعمة ربنا هتحول القلب الحجري الى قلب لحمي لكن في العهد القديم كان الناس كلها قلبها حجري بعدين ربنا قال لهم بص فيش طلاق الا العلة الزنا اللي هيطلق مراته ويتجوز يبقى زاني والمرأة المطلقة ديا لغير علة الزنا لو تزوجت برضو تبقى زانية يريد الناس اللي بيهاجموا الكنيسة اليومين دولت 
وعايزين يزودوا اسباب للطلاق يرجعوا لنص الكتاب المقدس ويعرفوا اللي هم بيطلبوا ان عايزين الكنيسه تصرح لهم بالزنا ويستحيل الكنيسه تصرح بالزنا من طلق امراته الا بسبب الزنا وتزوج باخرى يزني والذي يتزوج بمطلقه يزني تلاميذ لما سمعوا قالوا لو الموضوع بالحكايه دي يبقى احسن ان الواحد ما يتجوزش فسيد المسيح قال لهم ليس الجميع يقبلون هذا الكلام بل الذين اعطي لهم وهنا البتوليه دي عطيه من ربنا عطيه فيش انسان يقدر يحافظ على بتوليته من نفسه لكن هي نعمه من عند ربنا وعطيه من عند ربنا وقال لهم ليس قال لهم في ثلاث انواع من الخصيان خص يعني لا يستطيع الانجاب قال في ناس ولدوا بالطريقه دي من بطون امهاتهم عيب خلقي وفي ناس خصوا انفسهم كان زمان اللي اشتغلوا في القصور الملوكيه يخصوهم علشان الملكه والاميرات اللي في القصر ففي ناس عشان ياخد بوزيشن ياخد مركز يضحي برجولته عشان ياخد المركز زي قصه الخصي الحبشي اللي نقراها في اعمال صح 8 وبعدين قال النوع الثالث في نسيان خصوا ناس خصوا انفسهم لاجل ملكوت السماوات ده مش معناه ان لترلي حرفيا جسديا خصوا نفسهم لا ده معناها ان هم بعدوا عن الزواج وعاشوا حياه البتوليه من اجل ربنا علشان يكرسوا حياتهم لاما للخدمه او للعباده وقال مش الكل هيقبل من يستطيع ان يقبل فليقبل بعد كده جابوا عيال صغيرين للمسيح علشان يصلي عليهم فانتهرهم التلاميذ فربنا قال الايه المشهوره دعوا الاولاد ياتون الي ولا تمنعوهم لان لمثل هؤلاء ملكوت السماوات ربنا بيقول للبروتستانت اللي بيمنعوا معموديه الاطفال يقول لهم دعوا الاولاد ياتون الي ولا تمنعوهم لان لمثل هؤلاء ملكوت السماوات بيقول لكل اب وام ما بيعلموش ولادهم مخافه ربنا وان يكون علاقه مع ربنا يقول لهم دعوا الاولاد ياتون الي ولا تمنعوهم لان لمثل هؤلاء ملكوت السماوات بيقول لكل اب وام بيفضلوا الرياضه ولا الانشطه الرياضيه ولا الموسيقى عن ان هو يجيب ابنه مدارس الاحد ولا يجيبه قداس ولا يجيبه في انشطه الكنيسه من الحان تسبحه يقول له تعالوا الاولاد ياتون الي ولا تمنعوهم لان لمثل هؤلاء ملكوت السماوات وجابوا له الولاد ووضع يديه عليهم وباركهم بعد كده جاله شاب غني هذا الشاب كان جاي بنيه صادقه بيساله سؤال اعمل ايه عشان ارث الحياه الابديه وقال له ايها المعلم الصالح فربنا قال له لماذا تدعوني صالحا ليس احد صالح الا وحده وهو الله بس هنا المسيح ما بيقولوش ان انا مش ربنا انما المسيح عايز يقول له هل فعلا انت تؤمن ان انا الله لو تؤمن ان انا الله يبقى سؤالك ده ايها المعلم الصالح ده مظبوط بس انت لو انت لا تؤمن ان انا الله ليه بتديني لقب من القاب الله 
قال له ولكن لو انت عايز تحفظ الو... تدخل الحياه الابديه احفظ الوصايا فالشاب بيقول له انه وصايا الوصايا اللي هي تعليم الكتب والفريسيين ولا انه وصايا فربنا قال له لا الوصايا العشر لا تقتل لا تزني لا تسرق لا تشهد بالزور اكرم اباك وامك وهم كانوا الوصايا العشر بيلخصوهم في مجموعتين اول مجموعه اربع وصايا حب الرب الهك والمجموعه الثانيه ست وصايا حب قريبك كنفسك فالمسيح ركز على المجموعه الثانيه اللي هي حب قريبك كنفسك الشاب قال له هذه كلها حفظتها منذ حداثتي ماذا يعوزني بعد طبعا فيش حد حفظ الوصايا زي ما ربنا كشف له ان هو كان معتقد ان هو حفظ الوصايا بس في الواقع ما كانش حافظها كلمه ماذا يعوزني بعد ده معناه ان هو كان حاسس ان لسه في حاجه ناقصه كان ناقصه بر المسيح هو كان بيحاول ياخد البر من اعماله بس كان ناقصه بر المسيح فربنا قال له ان اردت ان تكون كاملا هنا ربنا حب بقى يكشف الضعف اللي عنده اذهب باعمالك ادي للفقراء يكون لك كنز في السماء وتعالى اتبعني قال له بص يا حبيبي انت عندك اله تاني اله هو المال لو انت عايز تخش السماء اكحد هذا الاله اللي هو محبه المال واعبد الرب الهك فتاخد بر المسيح في حياتك ويكون لك كنز في السماء الشاب لانه كان مؤله المال وكان وضع كل ثقته في المال فمشي حزين لانه كان ذا اموال كثيره سيد المسيح صعب عليه الشاب الغني ده وقال انه يعصر ان يدخل غني الى ملكوت السماوات المشكله مش في الغنى بس المشكله بتاعت الناس الاغنيه انه بيحتاج بيشعروا انهم مش محتاجين ربنا لو شعروا انهم محتاجين ربنا هيصلوا هيقروا الانجيل هيجوا الكنيسه هيتناولوا تعرف ليه ما بتجيش الكنيسه لانك مش شاعر انك محتاج ربنا ليه ما بتقراش في كتابك المقدس لانك شاعر انك مش محتاج ربنا ليه ما بتصليش لانك شاعر انك مش محتاج ربنا عشان كده قال يعصر ان يدخل غني الى ملكوت السموات هم شاعرين حاطين كل ثقتهم في المال المال يقدر يحل لي كل مشاكل عشان كده قال مرور الجمل من ثقب ابره ايسر من ان يدخل غني الى ملكوت الله او يدخل المتكلين على اموالهم الى ملكوت الله تلاميذ لما سمعوا العباره دي قالوا من يستطيع ان يخلص دي حكايه صعبه قوي فربنا قال لهم اه معاكم حق عند الناس غير مستطاع لن تستطيع ان تخلص باعمالك ده غير مستطاع ولكن عند الله كل شيء مستطاع لو رميت حملك على ربنا وثقتك في ربنا تستطيع ان تخلص فبطرس قال له طب يا رب احنا تركنا كل شيء تركنا زوجتنا وتركنا القارب بتاعنا وتركنا المهنه بتاعتنا وتركنا صيد السمك وجينا وراك ناخد ايه ربنا قال لهم هتختلف حاجات قال لهم ما تجلس ابن الانسان على كرسي مجده تجلسون على اثنا عشر كرسيا تدينون اصباط اسرائيل الاثنا عشر قال انت هتشتركوا معي في الدينونه وبولس الرسول يؤكد الكلام ده في كرونسوس الاولى صح 6 
يقولوا انتوا مش عارفين ان القديسين هيدينوا العالم غالبا بولس خدها من الايه بتاعت السيد المسيح ليه وقال لهم تاني حاجه كل من ترك بيوت او اخوه او اخوات او ابا او اما او امراه او اولادا او حقولا من اجل اسمه ياخذ 100 ضعف اذا اخذ 100 ضعف 100 ضعف ممكن تكون حرفيا ولكن اكتر منها روحيا سامي يحس بسلام سامي يحس بفرح يا ممكن ياخد مواهب من مواهب الروح القدس يعني زي ما بيقولوا الفلوس ممكن تجيب لك سرير لكن ما تجيبلكش نوم الفلوس ممكن تجيبلك دواء لكن ما تجيبلكش صحة فما الضعف ده هنا ممكن يكون هدوء البال ممكن يكون الصحة اللي الفلوس ما تقدرش تجيبها والحاجة الثالثة قال ويارث الحياة الأبدية ولكن كثيرون أولون يكونون آخرين وآخرون أولين ونطق السنين بتاعها آخرين وآخرون مش آخرين آخرين يعني أذرز لكن آخرين يعني لاست كثيرون أولون يكونون آخرين وآخرون أولين الشاب الغني ده كان من ضمن الناس الأوائل غني نقرأ عنه ان هو كان في السيناجوج في المجمع رولر ولكن في ملكوت سموات من الآخرين مش حزين لأن كان عنده أموال كثيرة الرسل كانوا فقراء من الآخرين ولكن في ملكوت السموات من الأولين كتبوا الفريسيين كانوا من الأولين في المجمع قادد الدينيين الزواني والعشرين كانوا من الآخرين ولكن الزواني والعشرين اللي تابوا دخلوا الملكوت قبل الكتب والفرسيين زي اللص اليمين اليهود كانوا من الأولين أول أمة أمنت بربنا في العهد القديم وعبدت ربنا الأمم كانوا من الآخرين لأنهم دعيوا في النهاية ولكن صاروا من الأولين واليهود صاروا من الآخرين لإلهنا المجد الدائم إلى الأبد Amen.